get the meaning behind the numbers, and more. This is TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050, the voice of hockey. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050 Toronto and across the TSN radio network. I'm Andy McNamara. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at TSN Analytics at AndyMC81. Subscribe and rate us on iTunes, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio app, TSN1050.ca show page. And we tweet out all the links to the shows at TSN Analytics. So make sure again to follow us on Twitter right there. Great show for you today. We'll lead things off in a moment with Travis Yost from TSN.ca. Welcome back our old friend James Myrtle, Editor-in-Chief of The Athletic Toronto. James Harding for some NHL fantasy advice from DraftKings and NHL.com. And then Scott Cullen, also from TSN.ca for Heroes and Zeros. So to kick it off, Travis Yost. Travis, uh, any any traveling? I, I know that's that's your thing to mock us. Yeah, Hawaii, how is Hawaii? I don't know if we talked to you since you got back from there. Hawaii was amazing, but of course I, can, it was. I can tell you one thing. Denver, Colorado, slightly colder than Hawaii. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was there last week, and it went from like 50 Fahrenheit to 20 Fahrenheit in, in one night. It, it is a very bizarre place, Denver, but I love it. Yeah, that's uh, that. Uh, it's a lot chillier. So, all right, hey, Travis, let's uh, start one of your recent pieces on TSN.ca. You declare that, quote, heavy hockey is dead in the NHL. So, Tell us, one, what's heavy hockey? Two, who killed it? And what's it being replaced with? Yeah, uh, so th- this was a, a, a big topic of discussion a few years ago, especially when a lot of teams, I, you know, I always point back to that old Boston Bruins model, the Peter Chiarelli team that kind of surprised everyone beat Vancouver in the Stanley Cup. And, you know, a lot of teams said, huh, you can play with a lot of really big, really powerful guys so long as they have a little bit of skill kind of, underpinning that this this is a market inefficiency we think we can build big heavy hard-hitting you know play on the boards and get dirty in front of the in front of the net type of teams and a lot of teams emulated it some with success some not and you know the best example of a successful version of that was is undoubtedly the la kings and for years the la kings were i don't know if you call them a dynasty but pretty pretty damn close i mean they they were a pretty dominant force in the western conference uh, but the, the interesting piece is in the last couple of years, uh, I think I think LA fans became jaded with that style of play. They watched teams, they watched the league really shifting towards a you know a smaller, more up tempo, uh, quicker pace brand of hockey. It's not dissimilar to what we're seeing in the NBA with a lot of teams playing small ball. It's 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 very similar to that because the new market inefficiency was oh these smaller guys are actually really go really good and maybe undervalued at the draft or. And, you know, in free agency or wherever. Uh, so we saw most teams move away. L.A. died out. Uh, Daryl Sutter, Dean Lombardi went, and they brought in a new era um, ushered in. But the one team that moved in the opposite direction, when everyone was running north, uh, the Edmonton Oilers ran south. And, uh-huh. and, that's, and that's really interesting because, you know, with a team with Connor McDavid, easily the fastest player in the league, you would think we're going to build, you know, some speed around him. Uh, they, they went for Braun. They went for a team that was – uh, going to hit you any and every which way possible. And uh, I would say there's been mixed bags of success with that. Last year was a successful story. This year, though, is a different animal. This year has been a catastrophe in Edmonton. And the interesting thing is if you look at historically and this year specifically at, at the frequency of which teams hit versus how successful they are in the standings, the teams that are hitting less and playing more up-tempo – are winning more hockey games. And that is the first time we've seen that correlation in some time. And 
part of that is because, you know, for every good heavy heavy team, you probably had a bad heavy team that pretty much equal, equal each other out. In this case, the, the majority of teams that are rise, risen to the top, Tampa Bay, Vegas, Nashville, obviously it's probably the three best examples there. Even Toronto I would put in that mix, although they've kind of petered off a bit. These are smaller teams. They play with a ridiculous pace. They're extremely good on the fourth check. They move the puck really fast, and they're at the top of the standings. And if you look at the, in the other direction, you, it's, it's really Edmonton is the, is the key, I guess, piece of failure here. But Montreal is, is not dissimilar um, in that regard. You know, Montreal kind of went in the direction of building a team around Braun, too. And both of these markets have struggled mightily in 2017. And quite honestly, they both look really slow. I mean, that's, that is an eye test qualitative takeaway. But, you know, when the McDavid line's not out there, Edmonton looks really slow and usually is outpaced by most teams. And Montreal is pretty much outpaced across the board unless they have their elite players on the ice. So I think a key takeaway for both GMs there, assuming they are around uh, this summer, is do do we shift towards where the market is going, which is the identification of these smaller, quicker, uh, maybe uh, marginally more skilled players, or do we proceed with the status quo? I think that's an interesting takeaway. And I think I think you're going to see a, a shift in mentality in, in this summer with at least one of these franchises. I, I, I totally agree with you, Travis. You have to. Right now, both those teams, Edmonton and Montreal, under 500. So something clearly isn't working. In conversation with Travis Yost from TSN.ca on Twitter, at Travis Yost. Another big picture topic you tackled this week on TSN.ca is the NHL's playoff format. And you note that the league is currently headed for a few skewed first-round matchups at this point. Is this a problem with the format of the league or, or just a one-off year? Uh, no, this is a problem with the format of the league because we've been doing this for four years. I'm pretty sure the format's been existing for four or five years, if my quick math works out. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure at, at, at some point every single season, me and you have specifically talked about these <laughs> screwed-up playoffs. Right. <laughs> it, it's, it's, if I could change one thing in the league, and there, there are a lot of things on this list. Goaltender interference is up there, the ambiguity around that. Um, the offsides replays, there's an, there's an issue there. Fighting majors, uh, th- there's like four or five really good topics. But I think the number one for me is the playoff format. And the reason why is they have went from a conference bucketing, which is already creating an inefficiency, because if you have a conference imbalance, you know, if you've got 10, 10 of the best six teams out West, two of those teams are not going to make the playoffs for two inferior teams making the East. But I, I get it. They, the league wants to protect travel to some degree and, I, I know the schedule was imbalanced. So, okay, the conference alignment predating 2013 made sense. The new divisional alignment is crazy because every time you have a divisional imbalance in talent, you're going to have this skew where, and, and especially because the two and the three have to play each other in every single division, you're going to have these crazy favorable and unfavorable matchups every single year. And I don't think the league recognized the likelihood of which there would be a divisional imbalance. So, look at just this year. The worst place to finish in the entire NHL is the two seed in the central. That's and maybe crazy. the second worst is the three seed in the central. The division is so good. I mean, Winnipeg is having a fantastic year. St. Louis is having a fantastic year. One of those two teams is going to end up playing probably the seventh or eighth best team in the NHL in the first round. Uh, that that doesn't seem like much of a reward to me for being one of the top four or five teams in the league. Whereas, uh, you know, if you look around in another division, the, the Metro – which was, had historically been a, uh, a, a powerful division, has kind of petered off a bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, most of those teams have taken a bit of a step backwards. And if you look, it's pretty much Washington and then a cluster. And again, you're going to have a very real scenario where a weaker team 
is going to have home ice advantage in the first round and a a vastly superior team by regular season, which has to matter to some degree, is going to be on the road. I mean, there is an extreme likelihood that the number three team in the Central will easily outperform the number two team in the Metro, and yet we know how the matchups are going to end up. And it's just a point of frustration for me because I know the league likes parity, and I hate that a lot of this is a lot of this is born out of the ridiculous point system, the two one zero. But if you're the league, you have to kind of step back and say, what is our goal? And I, I get that they want to draw ratings, but at the same time, you you have to try and drive towards a a, a scenario where you're you're really getting better or the best matchups in the second rounds, the third rounds, the fourth rounds, and they have not done themselves any favors here. I mean, how many times are we going to go through a second or third round where we see two teams play each other? And it's like, did they really deserve to be here? Yeah. It's, 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 it's a point of real frustration for me um, as someone who really not just values competitive fairness, but also thinks that, look, if you're going to play an 82-game season and you've you got this crazy point system that doesn't do well to separate teams until about game 60, it's got to matter for something. And, and the divisional bucketing is just not working. Yeah, I, I totally agree. You got to try to figure out something to make it a bit more fair and a better reward for finishing higher in the standings. Last one for you here, Travis. We're at the All Star break. Only one player at 30 goals. It's your guy, Alex Ovechkin. And behind him, there are three at 27 goals uh, William Carlson of the Knights, Andres Lee of the Islanders, and Nikita Kucherov of the Lightning. Is Ovechkin the only one that has a shot at hitting 50, the 50 goal plateau, or are we going to see a season nobody at 50? I think I think you're right. Um, I think Ovechkin really is the only one that has a shot. Kucherov has had an unbelievable year. I would put him in his outside shot, but again, it, it is just really hard to score 50 goals yeah, in the modern it is. NHL. Um, if, in a best-case scenario, maybe it's Ovechkin-Kucherov. Uh, Tavares having a great year. Anders Lee's having a great year. William Carlson, I, I don't know. Someone's going to have to fact-check me on this, but I'm pretty sure William Carlson has now scored more goals this season than he had in his entire career predating this year, hmm. um, which which I think spanned like hundreds of games with Columbus, which is nuts. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't really think he has much of a shot. He's shooting like twenty something percent, which is ridiculous. So yeah, I, I would rate it as just Ovechkin, maybe Kucherov if he gets hot down the stretch. But yeah, I mean we we could very well have a scenario where Ovechkin's at you know forty six, forty seven, forty eight, and he's the league leader in goal scoring. Uh, but again, he will again be the league leader in goal scoring in another. Rocket Richard on, on his mantle. And Travis, our producer, Sean Lavery, has fact-checked, and you are correct with the Carlson. That's ridiculous. Yes. I, <laughs> they will never, they will, in, in my, I, I get that I'm relatively young, but in my many years of watching the NHL, I, I don't know how high up the a fact is that an expansion team was gifted one of the three or four best so lines crazy. in hockey. That, they will be writing stories about that. I'm guessing for some time. It'll be nuts. Travis, great stuff as always, brother. Let's do it again next week. All right. Take care, man. All right. On Twitter, must follow at Travis Yost and all his fine work on tsn.ca. We'll step aside. After the break, James Myrtle, editor-in-chief of The Athletic Toronto, stops by. We'll talk Leafs. We'll talk All-Star break and a whole lot more here on TSN Hockey Analytics. I mean, I don't think you can ever really be complacent when where you are in the standings, right? So, you know, a lot, a lot, of, a lot can happen. A team could get hot, hot at the right time. We could get cold. Um, so, we obviously don't want that to, that to happen. So, um, you know, you definitely check in on the standings here, yeah. But uh, we're never, we're never going to be complacent where we're at. 
Austin Matthews of the Toronto Maple Leafs has heard on Overdrive earlier this week. Welcome back to TSN Hockey Analytics. I'm Andy McNamara, and you're listening on TSN 1050. Across the TSN radio network, make sure to follow us on Twitter at TSN Analytics, at AndyMC81. Subscribe and rate us on iTunes, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio app, tsn1050.ca show page. Lots of ways to hear TSN Hockey Analytics if you missed any of this episode or want to go back and hear any of the other ones. Friend of show returning to the dance, it's James Myrtle. Editor-in-Chief of The Athletic Toronto. James, how's it going, man? I'm good, Andy. How are you? I'm doing good, my friend. Great to have you back on. And listen, much was made of the Leafs' line changes when head coach Mike Babcock debuted his new-look lines at practice. Since he made those changes, the team is uh, 2-0 with wins against the Blackhawks and Stars. To make things look better, Nazem Kadri, two goals in three games after he didn't score. I, I think it was, what, one goal since the end of November. Is there anything to suggest that these lines won't remain the same when the Leafs return from the All-Star break? Well, I mean, the only thing to suggest that he might go back is that he said before he made the cha- when he made the changes, this is just temporary, and when we play at home, I'm going to go back to what the lines used to be, and Komarov's going to be playing with Kadri. But if Mike Babcock saw the same thing that I think everyone watching saw, that how good Kadri looked playing with Mitch Marner, um, you know, maybe he'll change his mind and he won't make he won't make any changes and, and keep going with what he's got. I just think that, as you said, Kadri uh, uh, was so impotent offensively there for so long, two points in 20 games uh, with Komarov. It was time to change something. And I think giving him a dynamic offensive player on his right wing like Mitch Marner and a natural right winger, which which Leo Komarov is not as a left shot, makes a lot of sense. And uh, you know they they need Nazem Kadri going and producing. So we'll see what he does here on Wednesday when they play, play the Islanders at home. Now, James, it's no secret the biggest need on the Maple Leafs is on defense. And TSN Hockey Insider Darren Dreger reported on the station earlier this week that the price for a defenseman is quote over the moon right now. And as we inch closer to the trade deadline, is there a part of you that starts to think it is less likely the Leafs make a trade to upgrade defensively, especially, I'm not talking about the fifth and sixth guy, but, but for a, a upper tier, even maybe a second pairing, like, like something to make a noticeable difference? Yeah, I don't even know who that player would be yeah. because you look at the rental defensemen that are available, like Good Branson out of Vancouver or Mike Green in Detroit, or there, I mean, there's a couple other names. And I don't think any of those guys really qualify as coming in and, and really bolstering your top four. The other thing is that the Leafs are, are going to get Nikita Zaitsev back. It should be maybe another week or a little bit more where he's back from the broken foot. Um, that bol- that bolsters your depth a little bit. And then when Morgan Riley comes back as well, with the way that Carrick has played better in increased minutes and Travis Dermott has stepped in and played pretty well, you know, I think, I think they've 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 got the foundation there for a little bit better blue line than they had earlier in the season, and that that growth from within makes more sense than giving up a you know a first or a second round pick mm-hmm. to bring in uh, another depth defenseman. Well, yeah, because you see, it seems like every year somebody does it, and more often than not, it doesn't work out, right? Like the New York Rangers have done stuff like that, whether it's a forward or a defenseman several times over the last bunch of years, and it just seems to never work out. So, yeah, for the Leafs, it has to come down to, do you overpay for just a guy who is going to be in the middle of the pack that that probably doesn't move the needle too much? Or, as you said, develop from within. That's going to be the question for Lou Lamorello. Yeah, and I mean, there's, there's really legitimate questions about how much of a contender the Leafs even are this season. They're still five points back of the Bruins, and the Bruins have four games in hand. They're probably not going to start the first round with home ice advantage unless they go on a huge run here over the rest of their season. 
Um, I would say that they've got to go through Boston in round one and Tampa in round two, probably. I'd say it's very unlikely that they're going to be able to do that. So do you want to give up your first-round pick, or do you want to give up a good prospect just to bring in a rental player who's only going to be playing on your team for a few weeks? Um, you know, I just think that the Leafs need to be realistic about what they are right now and that maybe they're not quite there, and this isn't quite their year to, to, to go for it. And it's, yeah, it comes down to a situation where you're still in. Now, we fast, have fast-forwarded the rebuilding process, obviously, but you're still in that build-for-long-term mode. So it's that balance between draft pick and, and going for it right now. So that's going to be the balance, I guess, to, to check as they, they continue on. Now, hey, let's look at, at Travis Dermott here. A steady increase in ice time. He's been impressive. But it was asked on the TSN Hockey Quiz Thursday, and Jeff O'Neill addressed it as well, uh, saying, who would the Leafs have on the back end in their playoff top six on the blue line? Connor Carrick, Travis Dermott, or as the O-Dog said, both. Yeah, I mean, I lean towards both is what I would like to see. I think that that should be, when you're fully healthy, that should be your probably your third pair of those guys. I think they've played really well. And, yeah, they've had sheltered minutes. And, you know, yeah, the, you know Mike Babcock has been a little bit skeptical about playing them in, in big minutes. But, you know what, they move the puck really well. Uh, they're dangerous offensively. We've seen both of them create chances and Connor Carrick score a goal. Um, they can fill in on the on the power play. You know, I, I don't see any reason why, if they're fully healthy, that those two guys can't both be in the lineup. It just means that no more Roman Polak, and mm-hmm. it probably means that Andreas Borgman has to go down to the Marlies, which is okay because he, he doesn't need he doesn't need waivers to go down. And you know, he hasn't been playing that many minutes. He's had. I don't think it'd be the worst thing for Borgman to to play some in the minors this year. Yeah, and you have that flexibility. Uh, in conversation with James Myrtle, editor in chief of the Athletic Toronto, on Twitter at. Myrtle. Now, James, a tough uh, weekend for us here. There's no NHL regular season hockey, right, through the All-Star break. You took some time to write a great piece for The Athletic about the host city for the All-Star game, Tampa Bay. And what's made Tampa Bay such a thriving hockey market, especially when few others uh, in Florida, in that Sunbelt, have had long-term success and have been struggling. So what has made Tampa Bay so good? I mean, the Lightning got extremely fortunate when the team was sold in 2010 that it was sold to Jeff Vinnick, who is, I mean, he's just a very, very impressive man. You know, I've had the time, the, the chance to speak to him uh, before and I'm incredibly impressed. You know, the the amount of money that he's invested in that team and in that community, uh, he's been buying up lots of land there. He's talking about redeveloping the whole downtown. He's got uh, Bill Gates' uh, uh, firm coming in and investing in Tampa Bay just what they're doing down there, it goes beyond hockey. It goes, it's, it's changing the community and, and the city there and making it more of a business hub in the southern U.S. And Tampa is one of my favorite places in the NHL to go to. I've been to almost every NHL city. Uh, the setup they have there just with, you know, not only with the weather and the nice hotels and all those kinds of things, but the hockey environment there is getting really, really good. The atmosphere in the arena, they've got all these fan decks. They've got a massive, massive jumbotron. The arena's nice. Um the food down there is great. I mean, there's just a lot of things to like, and I think that Tampa's a great choice for All-Star Weekend. Hopefully some, some fans from the GTA have gone down to see it, and if you enjoy you know, kind of being a hockey tourist and traveling around, Tampa's definitely a spot that you should go, especially when, uh, when it's cold here and it's nice mm-hmm. down there. You know, Jeff Binnick's just done such a great job, and Steve Eisen has done such a great job with the team on the ice that they're one of the feel-good stories in the NHL right now. 
And it's it's really turned into a blueprint for non-traditional hockey markets on how to do it right. Yeah, and I think what the NHL is going to do now is that any new owners that come in, you know, is the new owner Tom Dundon in Carolina, they're going to set up meetings with him and Jeff Innick and, and mm. get Jeff Innick to kind of mentor these guys and, and tell them, you know, how he did it because it's really, really impressive. And, you know, all of the things that Jeff Innick said he was going to do when he went into Tampa, he has done them and he's not done yet. So it's, uh, you know, I think the Lightning – they're the only team in the Sun Belt in the top 13 in attendance in in the league. Their ratings are going up year after year. I remember when they were in the Stanley Cup final and their TV ratings in Tampa were through the roof. Um, they're they are building a hockey culture down there, um, and it's 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 pretty remarkable to see. Yeah, and winning of course helps Tampa Bay at the top mm. of the Atlantic right now in the All Star break. James, thank you so much as always, man. Let's do it again soon. Okay, thanks, Andy. All right, James Myrtle. Editor-in-Chief of The Athletic Toronto on Twitter, at Myrtle. We'll take the break, and on the other side, some NHL fantasy talk with DraftKings and NHL.com expert James Harding. For your league waiver wire pickups and some tips there, you'll want to stay tuned. James Harding next on TSN Hockey Analytics. Bergeron pivots right wing. He hits Marshan in the backhand, spins around a check, tripped up, we got a penalty upcoming, delayed call, fired out in front, they score! Patrice Bergeron turns around, sweeps it home, that's the hat trick! Bergeron gives the Bruins a 4-1 lead here in Brooklyn. Welcome back to TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050 Toronto across the TSN radio network. I'm Andy McNamara. Get us on iTunes, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio app, tsn1050.ca show page. Of course, we tweet out all the links from at TSN Analytics on Twitter and myself at AndyMC81. Let's get into some NHL fantasy hockey talk here with James Harding, our NHL fantasy expert from DraftKings and NHL.com. James, how's it going, man? I'm doing good, Andy. How are you, buddy? I'm well. I'm well. Hey, you know what? We always start it off and people love it. So let's go to Stock Up. Stock down. All right, so give me your two stock-up fantasy players this week. Now, we know, of course, it's the All-Star break, so there's no games this week, but when action re-picks up, whose stock is going up? Yeah, two guys who are topping my list right now are going to the Metro Division for both of them. And uh, first on my list, Travis Konechny from the Philadelphia Flyers. He's sitting on... The first line there with John Couturier and Claude Giroux, who are both top 30 overall fantasy performers this season. Giroux is 26th in the Island Standard League, and Couturier is 28th. Connecting uh, with the uh, DraftKings Fantasy Hockey Player of the Week for this past week, averaging 5.5 fantasy points per game. He has points in nine of his last 12 games overall. Six goals, five assists, and 31 uh, shots on goal. And he goes into the All-Star break with a five-game point streak. So I really like where he is right now. And when you factor in that he has 11 points in his last 12 games, and he's played 49 games this season, so in his first 37 games he only had 11 points. So you see the level of production that he's putting up right now with uh, Couturier and Giroux, only 22% owned in Yahoo League, 
He's still very, very low. He was only in the mid $3,000 range on DraftKings this week. So I think coming out of the break, he is going to be somebody who you're going to want to put in your lineup every night. He's available right now until he cools off, especially if his price stays that low. Um, and then my second player, excuse me, Anthony Beauvillier from the Islanders, 26% owned right now in Yahoo League. He's gone up in his last eight games because of his production from $3,000 in drafting to 5000 He's standing on the second line right now with the Islanders, with Matt Barzell and Jordan Everly, 17 points on the season. He has 10 points in eight games skating with those two on his, on his line, uh, eight goals, two assists, and uh, he has a three-game point streak right now going into the break, including two multi-goal games uh, earlier this week against the Blackhawks and the Coyotes. So I really, really like where that line is right now, and Beauvillier just skating with a ton of confidence there. Those are a couple of stock-ups to keep an eye on for your league play or when the regular season starts back up and for your DraftKings contest. Okay, two players we should avoid at least for now. Stock down. Unfortunately, one player that I really, really like, but he is just not performing lately, is Blake Wheeler from the Jets. Yeah. Two, two assists in his last six games, and he only has 11 shots on goal in that stand. Um, he's definitely starting to show the struggles of not having Mark Scheifele there now. He's centering the first line with Patrick Laine and most recently Jack Rocklevich. Uh, the, the rookie who was one of their leading scorers in the AHL for the Jets uh, this season. He has a tough matchup coming out of the break against Tampa Bay. And hat tip to the guys over at uh, NHL.com Fantasy, Pete Jensen and Rob Reese on this. They put out a phenomenal article uh, about schedule trends for the remainder of the season for fantasy hockey, which is applicable to season-long and to DFS for drafting, the Jets have uh, 27 of their final 32 games this year are against playoff teams or playoff contenders right now. So I think with the way that Wheeler is going, until he gets cycling back or until he gets going, I think that his matchups going forward are going to be very, very difficult until he gets some more help there. And then my second guy is uh, Chris Letang. One assist in his last seven games. Oof. He has a five-game pointless streak. He is getting solid category coverage there, 22 shots on goal, 11 block shots in that stand. But he's on pace for only 46 points this season. And uh, the Penguins are tied for the most uh, games played already. So the second half of the season, Latang has the fewest games of top defensemen, top fantasy defensemen. And when you also factor in that in the – quarterfinals and the finals weeks when we come around to fantasy playoff time. The Penguins only have two games in each of those weeks. But Tang right now is just trending down, in my opinion. In conversation with James Harding, NHL fantasy expert from DraftKings and NHL.com on Twitter, at jharding underscore hockey. Okay, waiver wire. This is where really, James, when you look at leagues, you have your draft and you go about, you might make some trades, but really, if you can get a guy or two off of a waiver wire, that's the difference in league success and maybe winning it or making the playoffs and not. Give me a fantasy sleeper to keep your eye on over this all-star break from the waiver wire for league play. 
Yeah, there were a few guys that, that I was looking at here. You look at a guy like Mark Edward Blasek from uh, the San Jose Sharks as a defenseman, or, or UC Soros from Nashville. They have six remaining back-to-back sets over the second half of the season. But I like Rick Nash from the New York Rangers um, in either DraftKings or in standard fantasy league play. Um, when you look at Nash, he is dual-eligible left-wing, right-wing on Yahoo!, he has points in four of his last eight games, uh, six goals, two assists, and 29 shots on goal. He's only 44% owned in Yahoo leagues right now. But the big thing with Nash, and is the big rumor going around right now, is if and when the Rangers turn to selling mode with Nash as an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year, do the Rangers move him hmm. to a team that is in contention? And if they do, he can immediately slot in as a top six winger on a playoff contender and with a low value right now as far as what his ownership percentage is in standard leagues, I think Nash would be a huge sleeper going forward. Or even if he were to stay with the Rangers, the fact that they've had just a rash of injuries over the last few weeks, he is seeing significantly more playing time right now and he's seeing his statistical numbers start to increase. That's so I like Nash whether he stays or whether he goes. That's interesting, yeah, because if you can get him off the waiver wire now, that can even be a, a trade chip for your uh, on the fantasy league team, for example. Or, hey, that's a, a great pickup as well for the lineup. All right, James, final one for you here. The, strategy-wise, when we're talking DraftKings, once it starts back up, some of the, the difficulty is, okay, how do you build your team? Because you have, if you're playing, not the pick'em style, which is tons of fun, but the salary uh, edition where you have the salary cap, what strategy do you typically lean towards? Because you have, okay, you can load up on high-valued stars, and then you got to go really low, let's say, on defense or in the back end, or you try to even it out, but maybe there's not as much pop overall. Do you have a general strategy that, that you go towards and maybe tracking underrated categories like block shots, for example? Well, there's a lot to digest there, but, but let's break it down piece by piece. Um, when you're setting up a lineup, and, and I don't really have a set formula that I use, I go very matchup dependent, and then I go from there as far as who's playing who that night and, and how hot a player is playing. But generally speaking, I try and do at least one line stack of some kind where I'm stacking two or three players from a team. So, you know, just example, say I wanted to stack Chicago because they were playing Arizona tomorrow night and I wanted to stack a playoff stack with Kane, Caves, and Duncan Keith. So I would have those three players there. Then I'd be looking at mid-level and value picks to try and fill in around them. And again, it all comes down to matchup dependency and it all comes down to um, recent performance. But when you're talking about underrated categories like block shots, that is huge, especially when you're trying to, to find a, a value player and especially a value defenseman. Because when you look at block shots, a goal in DraftKings is three points and assisted two points. Block shots and, and shots on goal are both a half point each. So if you can get a defenseman who maybe they might not get a lot of offensive production, but if they get three or four block shots and one or two shots on goal, that's a really solid night, and that could be the difference between you finishing in the money and missing, and then between you finishing low in the money 
and making significantly more. So you have to pay attention to those underrated categories. Um, a great thing to do is sort by fantasy point per game and then scroll through and see what lower-level players or lower-value players are in that range of being higher up in fantasy points per game and just say, okay, let me see what the matchup is and let me see what he's done lately. You look at some players like a, a, a Blastic, who I've mentioned before, 4.3 points per game over his last 10 games, 25 block shots, 16 shots on goal, and 9 points. So you look at the category coverage of a guy like that, he's only $4,700, which is a mid-level value when it comes to, to defensemen, and he's producing at an almost elite level over his last 10 games. Awesome stuff, James, and that's some great tips for uh, DraftKings lineups. Again, that will start up on DraftKings after the NHL All-Star break. Good stuff, buddy. We'll do it again next week. Sounds great, dude. I'll talk to you later. All right, James Harding, NHL fantasy expert from DraftKings and NHL.com on Twitter, at jharding underscore hockey. We'll take the break. Back to wrap up the show with Heroes and Zeros and much more with Scott Cullen on tsn.ca. You're listening to TSN Hockey Analytics. Penguins into the zone, and now it's Crosby with Kessel. Crosby and Kessel. Do not but Kessel watches Crosby shoot the box from the right wing circle and score. Sidney Crosby gets the Penguins their fourth goal. They now lead four to two. Oh, fuck up, Daniel. Back to wrap up another edition of TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050 Toronto and across the TSN radio network. I'm Andy McNamara. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at TSN Analytics at AndyMC81. Subscribe and rate us on iTunes, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio app, the TSN 1050.ca show page, and we'll tweet out the links on the Twitter account, again, at TSN Analytics at AndyMC81. Okay, let's wrap up the show with our good buddy from TSN.ca, Scott Cullen. Scotty, how's it going? Awesome. How are you today, Andy? I am doing well, sir. And as we usually do, let's kick off your segment with... It's time for the best and worst of the NHL this week. Hockey analytics, heroes and zeros with Scott Cohen and Andy McNamara. All right. So a well-known hero to start it off, Scotty. You're not exactly going out on a limb here, but I like it. Sid the Kid. That's right. You know, we, we dig deep and we find this, this up-and-coming kid in uh, <laughs> Pittsburgh, number 87. Look, He's due. Yeah, well, you know what? Here's the thing. The reason I bring up Sidney Crosby is because he didn't get off to a really great start this season, but he's on a really ro- big role now. In a nine-game point streak, he has three goals, 16 assists, 63% of the shot attempts, almost 70% of the scoring chances with him on the ice uh, during that nine-game stretch. And so that's a little bit more typical Sidney Crosby uh, than what, you know, say he had done in the first half of the season. Uh, but even so, like, Crosby, even going on this hot streak, his points per game is still kind of hovering around the lowest of his career, just a bit above his lowest. And, and he's getting 2.8 shots on goal per game, which is his lowest. So, um, you know, there have been some, some rough patches, I guess, for Sidney Crosby this year, but not right now. He is, uh, he's on fire. He is rolling, and let's hope that continues. Uh, Paul Stastny is uh, number two on your hero list. That's right. He's been giving the uh, the St. Louis Blues some really uh, valuable secondary scoring. Uh, has 10 points in the past 10 games, uh, 59% of the shot attempts, 64% of the scoring chances. Um, and he's going to be an interesting one as we head to uh, the offseason because he's going to be a free agent. He's 32 years old, so um, obviously age is a factor. But if he kind of continues along and, and has a productive year, uh, there should be a market for him because, you know, there are a lot of teams that could use a solid second-line center. And right now Paul Stastny is, uh, is playing like a solid second-line center. 
Okay, those are the heroes. The zeros, it's a bad day to be named Kyle, Scotty. Okay, let's... I just sorted the list by Kyle's, and this is who I came up with. This is who came up with. Let's start with Kyle number one, Kyle Connor. That's right. The uh, Winnipeg Jets rookie, and, and I'm not uh, here to, to slam a rookie who's actually had a, a pretty strong uh, rookie season, uh, playing mostly on the Jets' top line. Uh, but in the past six games, he has one assist, only seven shots on goal. Uh, the Jets are, are under 41% Corsi with him on the ice, 33% of the scoring chances. And so, uh, with those numbers, Kyle Connor found himself demoted off the top line. Uh, replaced by uh, another rookie, Jack Roslovich, recently. Uh, and so, um, like I said, Connor's had a very good rookie season, um, playing alongside Blake Wheeler and early in the season with Mark Shifley. Uh, and, you know, maybe he's hit a bit of a dry patch here, but my guess is he's going to find his way back to uh, to the top line at some point. All right. The other Kyle, Palmieri. That's right. Kyle Palmieri in New Jersey. Um, you know, former 30-goal scorer for them, and so they could use uh, some production. But in the past five games, he has no points. Uh, under 44% Corsi, 39% of the scoring chances, and only seven shots on goal. And this coming at a time when uh, the Devils have some injuries up front. Taylor Hall is out, Marcus Johansson's out, uh, Brian Gibbons is out. So they could really use Kyle Palmieri to step in and, and give them some goals. Um, because A, he has a track record of doing it, and the Devils, and B, the Devils don't have a lot of guys uh, who can put the puck in the net right now. All right, so those were heroes and zeros in conversation with Scott Cullen from TSN.ca. Make sure to check him out on Twitter at TSN Scott Cullen. Okay, Scotty, some of your fine work on TSN.ca. Most recent article, Snapshot, Golden Knights move to number one. And I don't know about you, it is still so weird to say that about not just an expansion team, but a team in Las Vegas, and they keep doing it. Now, outside of the obvious with the record and everything, why are the Golden Knights number one to you? Well, and now here's the thing. They are number one, but with an asterisk. Ah. Like the Boston Bruins are still the best team. However, you know, being the current snapshot that we're taking, the Boston Bruins have a suspended Brad Marchand. They have Charlie McAvoy out after, uh, after that heart procedure. So, you know, you take away a top pair defenseman and take away, you know, their best winger. I, I allow that to open the door for Vegas to move into number one. Now, you know, to Vegas's credit here, they are in position to, to challenge for that top spot. Um, because, look, early in the year, they, they kind of got lucky. They had some really good goaltending even when uh, Marc-Andre Fleury was hurt. It was like Marc-Andre Fleury got hurt, and, and everybody kind of looked and went, oh, well, that's going to be it for Vegas because they don't have any proven goaltenders, and it didn't really matter. You know, Malcolm mm-hmm. Subban came in and played well, and Oscar Dance came in and played well. Um, when they got down beyond Oscar Dance to Max and Legacy, the, the goaltending got a little shaky, um, but, you know, they, they kept scoring enough to – to keep accumulating wins. And so now that Marc-Andre Fleury's back, um, they've got a team that scores. They're one of the highest-scoring teams in the league. Uh, they are winning the puck possession battle. They're like a 52 53% possession team now. And Marc-Andre Fleury has a 942 save percentage. Now, do, I, do you think the 942 is going to last all year? Probably not. You know, that's you know, extremely rare air uh, to be saving more than 94% of the shots. But... You know, if you're if you're getting 52 to 53 percent of the shots and your goalie's stopping 92, 93, 94 percent, you're going to keep winning. Like the unless you really dry up offensively, and you know the, there is some room for regression in, uh, in both aspects for the the Golden Knights. You know, like flurry save percentage could come back down, and somebody like William Carlson will stop scoring on 26 percent of his shots. <laughs> but but you know, it's not like that should lead to a, a dramatic collapse. And I mean, I, if I'm looking. You know, to the rest of the season for the Golden Knights, I would say, yes, I expect them to, to slow down their pace. I don't expect them to finish with 120 points. But 
I don't expect them to collapse and, and end up with 88 points either. Like I, I think, you know, stunner of, of stunners this year, but I think they're uh, they're probably a hundred point team if, if not more. Unbelievable, unbelievable yeah. to think that. And your biggest mover of the week, Nashville Predators, from nine a week ago up to number two. Yeah, and, and this is again, this is an injury uh, issue. A week ago, uh, when we were doing it, they were basically missing their entire top line. Uh, Philip Forsberg, Ryan Johansson, and uh, uh, Victor Arvidsson were all injured. Uh, Forsberg is still out. Uh, I think he's going to be back relatively soon. But Johansson and, and Arvidsson had both returned, and the, and the Predators have been uh, continuing to win. Um, so, you know, they, yes, they climb back into a kind of a, a higher contender status. Uh, I also. You have to see what's happening on that on that blue line. I mean, we all know that the blue line in Nashville is really good, but like PK Subban is, um, you know, he's picked up his play certainly offensively. Like he he has handled a lot of their shutdown uh, work at times this year, but he's also kind of lately has, um, you know, jumped into the offense. He's up to twelve goals on the season, and um, you know now that Ryan Ellis is back, they just they have more options on on that blue line. Which uh, I mean, that was the strength that and what got them into the finals last year. Um, I think it's probably going to play a big role in how they do this year as well. And last one for you here, Scotty, on the snapshot on TSN.ca. Tampa Bay Lightning have dipped from four, or, or uh, have, yeah, have dropped from four this week. They were at as high as two a week ago, 5-4-1 record over the past 10 games. Yeah, uh, and, I mean, they were number one for months. Oh, yeah, like, sure. You know, they've, been, they've been at the top of the league for a long time. However... Um, yeah, the record has started to uh, fade a little bit. They're missing uh, Victor Hedman, uh, and then also Andre Palat uh, is out. And, um, you know, you, you kind of combine all those things, and, and you don't look at it and go, oh, wow, the, the Tampa Bay Lightning are in real trouble. But if you're kind of handicapping their chances right about now, um, you know, they're not as good as they were a month ago or even a couple weeks ago. And so, you know, the, I think the Tampa Bay Lightning are obviously still a very good team, and, and certainly when healthy, they're going to be challenging for that number one spot again. But, you know, without Victor Hedman, without Andre Palat, um, they're a little bit more vulnerable. Yeah, and it could be something, too. You know, you're in late January, a mid-season little dip is common, especially if you've been riding high for so long, right? Well, absolutely. I mean, you've, they've, and look, they've, they've had great goaltending from Vasilevsky, and if, if his play happens to dip for, you know, a week or two, well, all of a sudden the record might you know might drop a bit, and, and that's how you end up you know sliding out of top spot. But uh, I don't think anyone is seriously worried about the Tampa Bay Lightning. I'm certainly not. No, no. Well, Scotty, thank you so much. Uh, all your great work can be found on TSN.ca. Let's do it again next week. Sounds great. Thank you so much, Andy. All right, that was a Scott Cullen on Twitter at TSN Scott Cullen, and that will do it for another edition of TSN Hockey Analytics. Get us on Twitter at TSN Analytics at Andy MC81. So for producer Sean Lavery, I'm Andy McNamara. You've been listening to TSN Hockey Analytics on TSN 1050 and across the TSN radio network.